On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, I tried to approach a holy God and all I got was this lousy hellfire and damnation. It's a good thing God likes to hear us talk because I can't imagine our wives don't get sick of it once in a while. And let's all give ourselves a round of applause for achieving such a great humility. Yay. Yay. It's episode 52. Turn it up! As Zach Wilde squealing there makes me smile every thing. time. Oh, yeah. Episode 52, my homies, is dedicated to David Brainerd. I dig this cat. David Brainerd was a guy died really young. He was in the 1700s out in New England there. Uh, wound up being a missionary to uh, Native American tribes and so on. This guy was so hardcore that Jonathan Edwards wrote his biography. Now, Jonathan Edwards was uh, the father of, if I got this right, the father of David Brainerd's wife, right? So this is his son-in-law. David Brainerd died young out in the mission field, and Edwards respected his son-in-law so much that the great Jonathan Edwards wrote a biography of him. So that's impressive. Now, the reason I bring him up is because he actually did achieve such a great humility to the point where it was kind of painful to read because if you read his journals and stuff, he uh, he really did hate himself. He was he grabbed onto that uh, you know surely I'm more stupid than any man psalm and uh, ran with it. And he he was he was very aware of his own infinite lowliness in front of an infinitely holy God. So uh, anyway, we all have a lot we could learn from David Brainerd, and uh, we're going to be getting into prayer today. And that is a necessary prerequisite for prayer: is being on your face before a holy God. More pride, less prayer. More humility more relationship with the Lord, you know what I mean? So we don't want you all to be hating yourselves, but uh, uh, we can learn a thing or two or a million from David Brainerd. Yes. Just going to mention, David Brainerd was affianced to oh. to Edwards' daughter. They never tied the knot? Dated, well, I think he died before then. Bummer. Yeah. All right. But it's cool that Edwards still thought of him like a son and revered know, him. Like, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well... Maybe that's because he had wisdom. Uh. Proverbs 3, 32 to 35, and all God's people said. She means amen. Goes like this. For the devious are an abomination to Yahweh, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he will uh, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. So this whole section of Proverbs three is about obligations to our neighbors, right? So let's take a look at some examples of that. You get Proverbs three, verse twenty seven. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Verse twenty nine. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Verse 30, do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. So the examples are manifold, but this we're, we're talking about doing good to your neighbor. You might say, if you were theologically nerdy, you could say like covenant obligations to your, your neighbor, right? Okay, but now at the end of the chapter, we get down not to our actions to our neighbors, but to God's action in our interneighborly interactions, right? So you and I are going to treat our neighbors well or poorly, one way or the other, we got choices to make. And this section of Proverbs 3 tells us that God will treat us accordingly. So we, what, what we give to our neighbors ends up in some way coming back on our own heads. So Solomon makes this point over and over and over again with these repeated contrasts. Let me read this again and just listen to the, the contrast, the bouncing back and forth here. 
For the devious are an abomination to Yahweh, but he is intimate with the upright. That's a contrast. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. That's a contrast. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. There's a contrast. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. So these are the, I've I've told you about this a million times, right? The ubiquitous contrasting parallelisms, and he just stacks them up here one after the other to make the point that God balances the scales in the end. So he tells you in multiple ways, and he repeats it, because like I used to tell my music students, repetition is the mother of skill. So Solomon wants us to be skilled in understanding God's justice, so he blesses those that bless and curses those that curse, and he just repeats that phrase a million different ways. Now, at this point, I can hear some New Age granola munchers going, oh, I get it, it's like uh, the Christian version of karma, right? No, bad hippie, bad. We're seeing... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, man. We're we're seeing a, a cosmic balancing of the scales. That's true, but it's very different than than karma in at least one seriously important way. So, like for example, karma. You're, <laughs> you're still going over there, huh? <laughs> hey, I'm I'm expounding truths, deep truths of the universe, man. All right, karma is it's um. You think about it this way: it's not a person, right? It's impersonal, emotionless, dispassionate. It's this force that's that's out there that doesn't care for the people that it affects, right? The idea of karma is kind of like math. These things just balance out. The numbers don't have any feelings about it. They just do what they do. But then there's there's this, this thing from God. This is totally different. It's not karma. It's it's cosmic justice, right? So like a God who sees and cares and acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I mean, look at verse 32, right? For the devious are an abomination to Yahweh, but he is intimate with the upright. So here we see the emotion of God. Now look at verse 34. Well, 33 and 34, really, I should say. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he will will give grace to the afflicted. And so here we see the emotions of God, and these lead to certain actions from God in 33 and 34. And then we continue, verse 35. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. So now we've seen the emotions of God, the effects that those have, and then the the long-lasting situations that are, that result from that. So our very active, attentive, and personal God takes action based on the needs and the rights of his people. His emotion, his resultant action, and the effects of those actions. All displayed right here in Proverbs 3. Furthermore, you see something here that Proverbs, uh, that, that, uh, sorry, that, that karma can't provide. Look at verse 34 again. He scoffs at the scoffers. So scoffers get repaid in like kind, right? Tit for tat, cosmic poetic justice. And Hindus and Buddhists and New Agers, they don't have a problem with that up to this point. But then the second half of the verse says, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. So God is giving justice, but also mercy. It takes a God of tender love to show mercy. You don't get that from an impersonal force. Mercy is not a mathematical equation. It's a decision that's made with a motivation in a context of interaction and relationship, right? So here we have a God who shows himself to be one way with the evil and another with the needy and all in perfect consistency. I think that's really cool, right? Just like, who is this God that wisdom is describing? He gives justice to the arrogant, but mercy to the humble. Now, this is actually the verse that's quoted in James 4, verse 6, and 1 Peter 5, um, 5. Yeah, 1 Peter 5, 5, right? It's, uh, so they say God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Okay, so let's let, let's tie all this together then. We have two elements going on here. Number one, Solomon says basically don't be arrogant. And number two, he says be a good neighbor. And then all of this is underneath the, the watchful eye of God. So we can boil down these two things to a summary statement. Consider your neighbor as more important than yourself. Now, when you consider somebody as more important than yourself, the way that the Bible describes this is with the word love. The biblical definition of love is to consider someone else's well-being above your own. So in other words, love your neighbor, right? It's like, oh, who would have thought we would end up there? Eh, shocking, right? So Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, I will leave you with this. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of of the law. That just happened to be the perfect timing for the ending of that song as well. Wow. Divinely ordained. I don't want to get into like a sovereignty of God moment here just from observational theology, but if I was, that would be the moment to do it. Evidence of, right? Correlation. Yeah, darn right. Yeah. 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 That's right. And I also appreciate the fact that you're shaking me off of going down this rabbit trail. (laughs) You're like, no, 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 don't do it. (laughs) Ben's about to whisper into his sleeve, take the shot. Anyway. um, All right, so... Here's what we're doing on this one, guys. We're um, we're not uh, we don't have an interview today. We're doing one of those a little bit later on, so we'll release that in future weeks. We're not doing a Q and A today, although we have a huge list of questions to get to that are so much fun. But the question was, okay, how do we make disciples, right? And what we do is we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And so there are some of these issues that um, that. We just need to be careful to always teach well because we don't do it well unless we're told, unless we're taught. And one of these issues, believe it or not, is prayer, right? So from a pastoral perspective then, then you get questions all the time and the answer is, like the first response is, well, how's your prayer life? Or we get questions about, my prayer life is terrible, what do I do? Or can I pray like this? Or should I pray like that? Or what's the right or wrong way to pray? Or whatever. And it's like, it's a weird thing because on one hand, prayer is talking to our Father, so, like, what could be more natural? On the other hand, there's this endless well of questions and feelings of inadequacy and quandaries and stuff like that. So, we want to teach you guys how to pray. So, that's what we're doing here. Um, we're going to, we're basically, what we did was we scribbled down a whole bunch of common issues that we run into. Some of them questions we get, some of them common misunderstandings about prayer, whatever. And we're just going to kind of go through these. And these are in no particular order because Ben and I have enough personality disorders that if you were to give them all acronyms, each letter of the alphabet would be taken up at least twice. <laughs> so when I say A-D, you say D. A-D. D. A-D. D. That's our theme song right there. I just did that for you. So anyway, th- this is going to branch out in a million directions, but uh, we're just going to go through some of this stuff because people need to know how to pray, man. And that they can. Go with that. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, okay, so um, I was speaking with a dear dear friend who um, was involved in some uh, rather hyper-fundamentalist body, um, some church. and Are we talking uh, King James only, suit and tie? We are talking some serious... Yeah. you got to pray in the King James, that kind well, of thing? not only that, but um, uh, this dear friend who was a, a dear sister mm-hmm. was told that she was not to pray herself unless it was absolutely necessary instead her prayers were to go through the nearest male representative 
So, okay. <clears throat> so when is it not absolutely necessary? I'm sorry, I'm getting you off track. No, 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 no. That's do, all I'm saying. But the, do you but, think? but what that communicates, right, is that you're not worthy. Yeah. To enter into the very presence of God, by the way, which through whom Jesus has already paved the way, a la Hebrews 4. (laughs) Hebrews 4 and 8 and 9 does not apply to you, sister. Not at all, sister. Sorry. You need need somebody with a beard. Let's just say that, oh, man, I... There are several times where I can see where Paul was so mad that... You know, he he wanted certain people to chop off things, <laughs> me to be condemned forever. And uh, there were times you ever want to see you want to you ever want to test a pastor to see if he's going to drop a four letter word, mm-hmm. drop someone telling you you need something extra besides Jesus to get yeah. to go talk to Jesus. Just the nearest sinful man you can find is better than you. Wow. So, First of all, so let's just let's just say that yes, I, you can pray. If, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh. It's terrible. It's tragic. It's, it is tragic. Wow. To think that there would be people that say, "Oh, I really would. I would really like to talk to God about this, but I need to go find my husband slash boyfriend slash father slash." I'm shocked. Yeah. I was like, I was like, there are actually, there are actually churches, uh, and I'm. Really using that word, You're stretching that <laughs> definition. Stretching. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Some disciples be tripping, yo. Amen. Yeah. Some okay. guys need some backhand therapy. Okay. So yes, you can pray. Please, please do. Yeah. All right. So, um, but as we start this question, I think probably a good one to really help us maybe bring this out is what is prayer? What would you say prayer is, Dustin? Well, being put on the spot, I would say um, the <laughs> I'm, I'm going to quote somebody here because it's a great definition. All right, but I'm not going to tell you who I'm quoting because I don't endorse almost anything else that he says. It was Stephen Furtick. Okay, so um, prayer is a conversation, but it is a conversation in the court of a king. All right, so prayer is talking to God in familiar relational ways inside the context of a loving and safe and secure relationship, but also not getting too casual about it because Jesus isn't your homeboy. He's the God of the universe, right? So it is a conversation in the court of a king, a conversation with a king in the court of a king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that definition. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's not detailed, but it's clear. Yeah, yeah. and 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 the nice thing is, again, it, it is a conversation. It is a conversational act between, between like, you know, for example, Ephesians chapter one and even Ephesians chapter two, an adopted child. We yep. have the very right, you know, a, a, Hebrews chapter four, we can enter into the grand throne room of God and receive, you know, from that throne of grace, receive that timely grace and that, that we need. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that, um, I mean, the, the layers of this definition get really cool, but as the, as the coolness and the profundity goes up, so does the theological nerdiness, but you can even get into things like, you know, like Luke 16, there is a great chasm between the realm of good and the realm of evil, and it cannot be bridged by mankind. And prayer is that thing that God allows us to do. It's that bridge that he has created where we get to cross over into God's living room, God's house, anytime. And so yeah. like the, the, the magnitude of what is being done is really incredible. And I know we, we got some stuff here as far as like the Trinitarian aspects of prayer, how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved. But yeah, I mean, essentially like prayer is, is the center of your experiential relationship with God. Yeah. So um, with all of that then, here comes a great little question. Are there right ways and wrong ways to pray? Yeah, clearly if you're a woman, then the right way is to get a man somewhere. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you 
You know, I'm, I'm really glad that we're not a famous show because somebody would, would soundbite that. Oh, they totally would. Oh, yeah. And we'd have to like say, uh, context, hello, mocking. Right. If, if I ever like run for president someday, not going to happen. Please, then, no. No. I just, <laughs> not, no, no, because I don't want you as a president. I prefer you as a pastor. Uh, well, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, uh. That's an optimistic phrase right there to say that you prefer me as a pastor, but thank you. Yeah, so is there a right or a wrong way to pray? Um, there there are a lot of wrong ways to pray because a lot of times um, we we introduce pagan practices into our prayer, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to stop short of saying there is a right way to pray because prayer is massively diverse. It, it, can, it looks different sometimes even in different cultures and then with different individuals and different personality types, uh, needs and different things you're going through in life and what you're praying for. That changes uh, methodology, I guess you could say. So there's a lot of freedom, a ton of freedom. But yeah, there are some boundaries, right? So like um, when uh, Matthew uh, 6, when you pray do not use endless repetitions like the pagans do right for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words so jesus is like don't do it like that okay well i mean we can talk about what that means if you want but there's there's a prohibition there somewhere so there are some wrong ways to pray if your if your prayer is in in form and content exactly the same as a buddhist meditation ritual that's bad we shouldn't be doing that right that's that's baptized paganism so um so like repeating some kind of mantra over and over and over and over and over again, yeah. and expecting that God's going to answer just because you ask it like that. Yeah. And you see that a lot in, uh, in the, the prosperity world, right? Like you need to claim the promises. And so yeah. people will, will kind of say something over, like, I claim this is mine. I claim this is mine. I claim this is mine. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like trying to twist God's arm, which is kind of the definition of paganism. Really. It's, mm-hmm. it's transactional you do something to your deity or for your deity in order to elicit a certain response and that's not what prayer actually is right so there are some wrong ways to pray and and just as a guideline when it starts looking like paganism you know you're getting close yeah so that that might branch off to a kind of a similar question um are are scripted prayers good or not i don't want to act like a catholic but it, it seems like i could learn something about reading prayers of the saints that have gone before I'll tell you what, man. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop two words and you drop the third one for me, okay? Valley of Vision. Come on now. If you guys oh, have yeah. never gotten the Valley of Vision, get that book. Read it. What that is is uh, prayers of the Puritans, and they just wrote them. And I mean, they're short. They're a half a page each, most of them. Um, maybe maybe some of them run to a page, but even then, it's big print and it's a small book. So <laughs> it's a. Uh, but they're they are the most instructive and worshipful and theologically sound and biblically based prayers that you know i've ever heard seen or read so yeah there's a lot of value to these things right i mean it actually okay if you think about it anytime somebody prays in a group and you say amen you're kind of praying somebody else's prayer along with them yeah yeah i think it's interesting too you have um not only valley vision you have there's there's a number of good i'll just say this even as 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 a pastor there's times where my tongue is tied and I'm yeah. like, I just can't, I don't, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray, but I know I need to pray. Mm-hmm. And so there's sometimes going to Valley Vision. If I know a particular prayer, I could, yeah, I remember that. And I want to, mm-hmm. you know, or um, sometimes even uh, there's different books. One, one I'm praying for my children, you know, it says like 31 prayers you can pray for your kids. Sure. It's, it's, it's great. It's all based on scripture. So you're not, you're not like, you know, <laughs> it's not like I'm picking out somebody's thoughts on, on, on anything. I'm just, yeah. I'm just. Okay, and and then oftentimes I'll use that, and I'll to my the next thought in a second, but kind of to vamp on that like a melody, just kind of a prompt. I'm going to pray for 
my son and something that's going on in his life and it's okay. okay and then and then i'm just going to use that and, and kind of vamp off that melody kind of like if you're a jazz musician mm-hmm. right and you and you have a melody that you know whether it's a you know old tin cup or something like that and then you just you but you pass the solos around the the jazz circle right yeah, you yeah, know yeah. the same idea it's like you're all kind of playing around that same melody but the melody is just a little bit different even though it's the right the same chord progression well and that's a great point too because when we sing so often those are prayers right <clears throat> be thou my vision amen oh lord of my heart that was written by somebody and now i'm praying it amen so, yeah that's, that's what we're doing okay good good books on prayer um so value vision uh there's one that I just found out about last year called Piercing Heaven. Have you seen that one? Oh, no. I think that's more Puritan prayers, actually, okay. outside of Valley of Vision. Piercing Heaven, um, the common book of prayer for the the Anglican Church. Got mm-hmm. some really good stuff in it, yep. right? Cranmer, I think Thomas Cranmer put that out, um, you know, in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's there's some good collections yeah. of prayers. Yeah, and one, one other really good book on prayers is the Bible. Bible. <laughs> I, seriously. I yeah. mean, you think about it, you know, you, you have, um, in just in the Psalms alone. Oh yeah. You have, um, you have this, this wonderful collection of prayers. Um, one of my, uh, one of the pro- professors that I had at, at Southern Seminary, Don Whitney wrote a book actually called praying the Bible, which is boss. And by the way, if you remember, if you're just a tender, if you just want to come by grace and truth and pick up a copy of that book, we actually have a bazillion of them on, on like for free. Yeah. So. Just walk in the, walk in the front door and say, Beaver, I need Whitney. <laughs> Yes, and uh, I would go happily to my office and grab you a copy because one of the things he talks about is, is your prayer life dull? You know, are you tired of praying the same three words for Aunt Mona or whatever, right? It's like, no, instead, take a take a scripture and like, you know, Psalm 23, it says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lord, would you please be a shepherd to me and to my family and to to, to, to Aunt Mona, right? That's that vamping through. you're talking It's about. exactly yep. vamping off that melody. And then you then you have the prayers like a Paul in Ephesians two Dude, and three. Yeah. That prayer in what? chapter three, I, I've never been able to get my head around that. I'm like, oh. he's tapping into something here that is is beyond me. Yeah, but th- but a, a former uh, pastor of mine, shout out to Tony Snelly if you ever hear this, um, you know would would just challenge us. Have you ever thought? Have you ever thought what kind of answers God will be dropping down if you pray that prayer in Ephesians, the last part of that chapter? Dude, that is a boss prayer. Yeah, well, and and what you're talking about with with vamping, um, that is the intention, like the outright design of the lord's prayer amen so when jesus says hey when you pray pray like this our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and he goes on he's he's not saying you know hey i want you to recite this and that's a faithful prayer life now it's a good thing to recite it's a good thing to memorize do it do it all day long but um what he's given you there is a topical outline for how to approach god our father and you can break it down as much as you want one time i got i got wrapped up in the whole like our Father, and then I was just going to pray to God as Father and glorify Him for that type of stuff, right? I got wrapped up in the hour, and I was like, He's ours. Mm-hmm. Whoa. And that gets you into this whole thing about, about community and covenant and, and the body of Christ and the yeah. redeemed people of God and all this. And I was just like, He's ours. Like, by His choice, He belongs to us. Whoa. Whoa. And that, was, that just sent me off in this, this area where I actually, you know, just, I'll, sometimes I'll just run out of time to pray. I almost never get done with the Lord's Prayer you know yeah almost never yeah yeah all right so yes it, you know what so scripted prayers can be good now if totally. that's if if you think that just by muttering this particular phrase is going to effectualize something 
maybe not. You want it to be heartfelt, right? It's not just memorizing something and then just rushing through it like the Pledge of Allegiance or something yep. like that, right? But instead, you're 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 directly applying, even if you're reading the words, maybe even for the first time, directly applying that, and and, and you know, in your heart, in your mind, you're making that petition before the Lord. Absolutely, go for it. Yeah, yeah, and they can they can take you wrong also because prayers were written by people by somebody, right? Certainly. So my caution here is. Um, uh, Okay, I think you're going to disagree with me on this. Ooh, All right, yeah, okay. because you're you're a little in your inclinations, Ben. You're a little more high church than I am, right? Yes. Um, and so one thing that that I kind of bristle against is pra- is communal prayers, like scripted prayers, where we all read the prayer at the same time, and we haven't given people a chance to examine themselves and see if they're actually lying to God, right? So, in other words, leading people into falsehood without giving them a chance to stop and think about it. So whatever, whatever that looks like on the church's end of things, you know, as far as like liturgy and stuff, just for individuals, just be careful grabbing something from a prayer book or whatever and saying, okay, I'm going to pray this today. Skim it through first and Mm -hmm. make sure that, that they're not asking for, that they're not praying something that violates your own theology and your conscience. Um, And then, you know, after you give it a, give it a read over, be like, yeah, man, I'm going to own that one. I, I will, because I mean, Jesus says, you know, where two or more agree, then, you know, I'll, I'll do that for you. So, yeah. you know, which is a shocking statement in itself, right? Yeah. If two or more of you agree on anything, it will be done for you. Maybe we should get into that. But Ooh. yeah, but there, I mean, the, just the whole thing of like, read it, evaluate it, and then go ahead and dive in. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and edit the thing if you want to. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as you mentioned, you know, the whole high church and stuff like that. I think the power, at least now, because of the way we can communicate, it's like even sending out like churches sending out like liturgies and saying we're actually going to pray this together. Cool. And then it's like now you please read it, and you know, and, and I think even in, in some high churches you can say, look, if you you can even caveat people by saying, look, if, if there's something here that you're not you, you can't pray in confidence with, just don't do it. Yeah, don't you know, don't <laughs> just give it. Well, and, and in a lot of like very liturgical churches, these are repeated prayers that people have seen before. So they're yeah. So most of the time they're not seeing it for the first time on a Sunday morning. Right? Precisely. But yeah, but I mean honestly, the same thing happens with songs. Of course, my, my classic example, when I was a music pastor, right, you get up there and you have, I surrender all. Oh, and really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking out at these people that I'm like, you're not surrendering, Jack. You were sitting in my office refusing to repent 36 hours ago, dude. So anyway, be yeah. careful about hypocrisy. All right. So question number well, three, but we've kind of hit four and there's a couple other ones. But you mean? when my prayer life seems dry, forced, and dead, what do I do? This isn't going to make a lot of sense at first, dear listener, but stick with us. Um, the old phrase that I, I think, I mean, as, as I heard it, it went back to the Reformation times, but um, uh, might have been before that too. Pray until you pray, right? So in other words, there's something happening on God's end when we pray as well as on ours. And when when our end just isn't working, right? It's for some reason, we just don't have the gusto to push through. And we don't have the emotional intensity in prayer or whatever. Well, we are, <laughs> we're only one of the two participants. I only said we're only half of it, but we're far less than that actually, right? So we are only one of the two participants in prayer. And if you think in Trinitarian terms, then there's four persons involved in this thing. And there, you know, that, that design of, of God fully participating in prayer with you, he's drawing you in, he's doing various things. And so sometimes the simplest answer is stick with it, man, carve out some time, which is the opposite of the fleshly temptation. The fleshly temptation is wrap it up quicker because I'm not into it right now. Maybe go the other direction. Maybe just be like, 
All right, I'm going to pray whether I feel it or not, and we're just going to see where this thing goes. And I've had some very surprising experiences in prayer where it's like, I thought, I, I felt like I was a million miles away from the heart of God, but then I cracked open, for me, I use Psalm 119 a lot, you know, crack open a Bible, maybe Psalm 119, maybe, you know, maybe the prayers of Paul, something like that, John 17, prayer of Jesus. And I get into that and start praying some of that stuff and just stick with it. And, you know, five minutes later, 20 minutes later, sometimes I, I do this a lot on uh, Saturday nights because I'm praying for, for Sundays and stuff. Um, sometimes it's an hour later and something just pops where it's like, I could be here all night. And, and I'll ask the Lord sometimes, like, do you want me to stay here all night and pray? Would that honor you or should I rest so that I'm, you know, because I'm only a man and I need sleep. But if you want me to stay here all night and do this, I'll do it. Let's go. And I just kind of see, you know, where, where that whole thing goes. But yeah, pray until you pray, you know. Yeah. Another thing to do, uh, and I know Martin Luther said this one. He said, when I can't pray, I always sing. It's the best way to ambush the devil. Mm. And what he was saying there was he was appealing to scripted prayers, right? Amen. He was like, well, hey, I, I don't need to muster up something to say and really mean it. I can travel pathways of faithful men before me and stand on their shoulders and kind of um, uh, borrowing their faithfulness is the wrong term, but I can, I can capitalize on what they've already done and just kind of ride that canoe down the river for a while. And I'm still praying. Absolutely. And I, I like what you mentioned even about scripture, because sometimes maybe like when it, it, when we look at scripture and maybe we go to those passages, the, the huge, like God passages, I think of like Isaiah 40. Yeah. Where you get into, um, I mean, gosh, the whole book of Isaiah, pick a chapter. Um, but you've got even, uh, you know, the end of Job, right? Where you, maybe it's, maybe you have a low view of God and it's like, okay, well, wow. You know, all of a sudden reading this huge, big eye popping picture of who God is or who Jesus is. Like I think of going to Colossians chapter one or Philippians chapter two, and you see these, these big grand pictures of who it is that I'm going to. And then, you know, does that, does that not spark something, you know? So some of it might even be just prepping your own soul, even just listening to the word of the God, which mean, word of God, which means he's talking to you. Mm-hmm. What is prayer? Prayer is a conversation, right? So if God's talking to me and then I'm responding to it, oftentimes in my devotions, I mean, gosh, I can't even open up my Bible sometimes and be reading through a Psalm and not have that Psalm echoing in my head as I'm reading it. And then I'm saying, God, would this please be true yeah. about my son, about my wife, about, you know, this person I'm giving counsel to. It's like, you know, that, that even if you're struggling praying, then you know what? Bathe those suckers in the scriptures. Just open up the word and just, you know, and, and if it feels dry and forced, I mean, go to go to thinking about who this God is that you're actually going to. Let yeah. that shake you to your core. And I'll, you know, not to, not to say I'm always in it about experience because, you know, prayer isn't necessarily about us. Don't make, don't make it about you and your experience. Right. It's like, no, I want to be faithful and to play these requests before the Lord. And sometimes it's like, I'm not feeling anything and I'm just going to have to trust God. Yeah, it's kind of okay. That you're doing your thing. Kind of okay, yeah. I mean, r- relationships involve variation, right? Like Absolutely. Marriage, friendships, whatever. There are, t- there are some conversations that you're going to enjoy and remember for the rest of your life. Yeah. And there are other conversations that are just normal. And that's yeah. good as well, right? You ever um you ever pray about your prayer life? You ever pray for your prayers? Gosh, I don't I don't think I have actually. So I I've, I've taken to doing that um since I became a pastor because I wind up praying for the prayer life of the church as a whole, mm. right? So I'm asking the Lord, "Hey, up the temperature here. Just like, you know, make I us a, what you're make us a people of prayer." And then that leads into like, "Yeah, but I'm I got to lead by example in this." Mm. And and you know, my um Back to Jonathan Edwards again. He wrote a sermon one time and delivered it called, uh, I think it was a, um, actually to 
a room full of pastors or leaders or something, but it was called something like uh, uh, prayerless pastors or faithless pastors deficient in the duty of prayer or something like that. He lit them up good. And I was thinking like, yeah, that was me this last week. I was, because yes, prayer is a joy and it's a relationship and so on. It's also a duty. Like I'm commanded to pray for my church. And then you get into as a husband and father and as a, you know, I mean, just a citizen and things like that. I'm commanded to pray in certain ways. I have not done well with that. And so I wound up, in, in praying for the church, by extension then, just praying for myself and asking God to cause me to pray. Yeah. One of the ways that I'll do that a lot, and I'll pray this with other people as well for them and in front of them, is, hey, you know, draw me towards prayer. Distract me towards prayer. When I'm doing other things throughout the day, give me that thing where it's like, I just, I feel like getting away and praying for a while. And, and he does, you know? So yeah, pray for your prayer life. I think you, you bring up another thing. Not only is it a duty, it's a discipline, and it needs nice. to be worked. Yeah. So it's not just like, okay, well, whenever I feel like it. Look, there are, there are weeks where, you know what, me sitting down and having a conversation with my wife is work. Cricket, I love you. Um, but it, it's work because hey, I'm tired or whatever's going on throughout the week, and it, but it's no, I need to sit down and have this conversation with, with her. In the same way with our relationship with with God, it's a discipline. It's yeah. not, and it and it's not it's not a discipline as a legalism. It's a discipline of like no, I want I that that is something that God has actually ordained for a growth. Yeah, attend and, your relationship. Amen. It's, it, you know, it, it makes sense in every other relationship, and we don't call it legalism. But for some reason, because we're hypersensitive to legalism, then when we talk about you know disciplines of prayer, we're, we're prone to think about like, well, that doesn't sound like relationships. That sounds like law. You know, yeah. Look. If if you never if you never call your wife, you're not being a good husband in that way. Yeah. Right. So be a good disciple in that way. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Not to guilt trip him, but you know it is a. Dis- and by the way, with the disciplines, now we're back to Whitney again. So Donald Whitney also wrote a book mm. called Spiritual Disciplines. Amen. It might have had a subtitle. Uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I for believe. the Christian Life. Yeah. And uh, it was awesome. But yeah, there's there's stuff in all the spiritual discipline books about prayer, and you know there's there's something to just faithfulness sometimes mm-hmm. right like like self-discipline is a fr- is one of the elements of the fruit of the spirit and it's good to apply that to your prayer life and if yeah if you don't feel white hot about it all the time it's cool that's not the measure of success all right so when we get into maybe some of these disciplines maybe one of the disciplines i know that whitney talks about in that particular book also because i took his class is fasting i'm so jealous of some of the professors you had didn't you have shriner also i did oh man Oh man, it was great. No it wonder you're awesome. No, 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 right. no, 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 no. I'm not even yeah. close. Um, but uh, uh, Trinitarian, sorry, not Trinitarian. We'll get to that next one. Does fasting help prayers be more effective? If I just need to, you know, get a little more hot sauce on that prayer, <laughs> maybe maybe so that God hears it and actually answers it a little bit more. Should I drop some fasting on it? Is that kind of like the secret miracle sauce that we use? Oh yeah, well, so, I mean, there again, there are a lot of pagan practices that involve fasting, right? And and so like uh, Buddha, before he was the Buddha, he would um, he he undertook a huge regimen of like a, a very severe regimen of uh, of fasting. And there were times where he was living on the story goes uh, six rice grains a day, and that was his you know because he was trying to purge all of the dependency and materialism from his system or something. Well, of course it didn't work. You know, he just wound up almost dead, and then still chasing spiritual enlightenment or something. So. Yeah, I, I don't want you to paganistically expect, dear listener, that um, if you deny yourself food for a while, all of a sudden your prayers are going to get answered like Bruce Almighty, you know, like, <laughs> yes to all, <laughs> Yahweh. 
<laughs> so sacrilegious. Ah, from the great you theologian know, Jim Carrey. As sacrilegious as that movie was, and there was an awful lot of sacrilegious. Yeah. There, there, there are some pretty pithy statements. So it was I'm not, teachable. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's not like, okay, I'm not saying get your theology from Bruce Almighty. Please don't do that. <laughs> but it's interesting because when he went at the very end, when he says, okay, Lord, I surrender to your will, what's the very next thing that happens? He gets hit by a truck. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That was my will, buddy. <laughs> God, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's got 18 wheels. Yeah. The, um, uh, the, the question about fasting, though, is an interesting one because it is very much a human work, right? Yeah. So it, now, maybe, I don't know, correct my understanding on this. It seems like the Bible doesn't command fasting in the New Testament so much as it assumes it. There are, there are mandated fasts for feasts in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, I don't think there's a command to fast but like Jesus gives us instructions on, you know, hey, when you're fasting, but there's no, there's no um, detailed uh, order as to how often, how, how long, what it needs to look like. It's just like, hey, this is something that God followers do. Yeah, I can't think of any New Testament command. Yeah, to so fast. to me that puts it in an area of, of freedom and yet, it's assumed that you're doing it. So it's not, it's, it's like, it's not a command, but yes, it's a basic Christian behavior. We ought to be fasting. So what's, what's the benefit of it then? Well, I think my favorite summary statement of it came from John Piper. Uh, he wrote a book on fasting called uh, hunger, a hunger for God. Maybe it was just hunger for God. Anyway, in, in a hunger for God, he, um, of course, like every John Piper book, it was a really good book and it could have been about 40 pages, right? <laughs> it was far longer. So, you know, if you can get the cliff notes version, do that. But, um, he, he said in, in there, and he said at other places that, uh, fasting is where we evaluate our appetites, right? So it's where we deny ourselves something that we actually do need so that our body cries out for something that we want. And we can, we can stop and say, okay, as my body cries for this, is that the most important thing in my life? Or do I really, you know, pant for the Lord as the, as the deer pants for, for water? Is that really what's going on? Or if I could, you know, if I could sacrifice my prayer life for a cheeseburger right now, would I do it? You know, um, so it's it's kind of a, a level set, a, a devotional exercise, and I find that it really does help with um, not. This is a weird thing to try to describe. I don't know that it helps with the effectiveness of my prayers in terms of me getting more of the stuff that I ask for, but I definitely notice that it helps in the depth of my prayers. Right? Yes, like absolutely. I, when I'm when I am fasting, I tend to pray deeper. Because, I mean, I don't know why. And, and frankly, it, it changes the tone of stuff too because after 2 o'clock, you're just hungry and grumpy and you know you don't want to talk to people and you kind of don't feel like praying, but you've, again, disciplined right, yeah. yourself for that day to set aside this time and say, okay, every time I think about food, I'm going to, you know, every time I want food, I'm going to call out to God and say, please make me want you more. And after two o'clock in the afternoon, all you want is food. And so you're just constantly kind of like going there, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think that it helps kind of drive you to a different zone of intensity in prayer, and that does have benefits. First off, you wind up praying for different things, and then God answers those prayers, which are mm-hmm. prayers you never would have gotten anyway. So, you know, I, I, I'm not about fasting because you haven't gotten the new job, and so if I take a day of fasting and pray for my new job, God's more likely to give me my new job. He might lead you to pray for something different than the new job, right? Yeah, yeah I think that's, you know, that... It's interesting how your that that matches up with a lot of my experience. Not even done having done a whole lot of 
biblical research when I first began fasting. I was just, okay, I'm going to stop fasting and make sure I don't mess this thing up. But one of the things I found is that when I am, when I'm fasting and I'm feeling like I'm hungry, it's like automatically, God, I know why I'm hungry. I want to hunger for you. I pray, in some ways, I almost pray more desperate, which again, it, I'm dependent upon God. And I'm like just begging him. And there, there's a, there is an intensity there and it's, and it's a desperation. Yeah. And well, I, and when you're hungry, your, your filters melt. So yes. you, you wind up right at the core of issues a lot quicker. It yeah. seems like. Yeah. But again, it's not in, in, you know, in coming with, uh, in, 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 in addressing, you know, is this, is this some special sauce that makes my prayers more effective? I would say it definitely it, it may drive you to pray more. Yeah, yeah, probably not in the way that question was asked. Exactly. That's, I, that's what I'm like. Is that the right way to say it? Like, will, will fasting make my prayers more effective? Probably not the way you're actually asking about. Agreed. But in, in some surprising ways, one of the things that's come out of that for me um, is I've been very thankful for hunger. And so anybody who has been around, well, I've been praying for potlucks, well, the church gets together, or sometimes at my house or whatever. Um, well, it's pretty common for me now to pray. God, thank you for making us hungry three times a day so that we're reminded that we need something from outside of ourselves just to stay alive, that we're not sufficient for our own survival. And thank you for being that for us. And so that came from a time when I was fasting, which was like, okay, why you sort of get mystical about it, right? Like, okay, why is my body hungry? What's actually happening here in the design of God? My body is not sufficient to sustain life. I have no life in myself. My only life is from God biologically. My only life from God spiritually my only life is from God spiritually and I'm completely insufficient even to meet my own basic needs. I better pray. So yeah, it drives you into a different area of prayer. That has really stuck with me. So I, I, yeah, I wind up thanking God for hunger now. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Kind of so, weird. So, you know, you've alluded to this already um, in, in, in some of, of our previous discussions, Trinitarian prayer. Oh, I love right? it. Why Trinitarian? Why, why is Trinitarian prayer? important to understand well let me flip that on you because you know I, I i came to you and was like hey ben i think we ought to do an episode on you know uh on teaching people to pray and first thing out of your mouth was you know you know i'm going trinitarian prayers on this and i was like darn right let's do it so why is that why, why are you so pressurized with trinitarian theology in on the issue of prayer okay well, so this is more personal experience um but if i'm if i'm theologically understanding that there are three persons of the trinity right so there's god the father god the son and god the holy spirit and right? you are correct and so one of the things that i have found that i i i maybe it's it's less that i flow into that is i know that for example the father decrees the father sets the plan of salvation in motion right and and the father um, the father is is in charge of all things right and so um if i'm going to pray regarding something around that particular area i'm going to pray to god the father right okay and then at where i'm maybe thanking god for my salvation i'm thanking him that he decreed it but i'm also thanking my savior thank you for going to the cross so it's it's not necessarily at putting up a, a supplication before him, but I'm certainly thanking God, thanking my Lord Jesus that he died on the cross and that he paved his way for a rebellious sinner like me, right? So in my prayers, I'm I'm addressing uh, the various persons in the Trinity for the work that biblically they do. Okay, so you're, if I'm understanding you right, you're saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all kind of claim different jobs along the same mission, right? They sort of yeah. assign, assign tasks. The Bible assigns certain tasks by majority to one or another of these persons. Yeah, and there's overlap. Right, totally, yeah. And so when you're praying about one of these things, 
you're going to direct that prayer towards the person to which the Bible assigns the, the lion's share of the work there. So yeah. pl- plan of God. Thank you for the plan of God. You're going to the Father for that. Yeah. Thank you for the blood of the cross. You're going to the Son for that. Yeah. Thank you for interceding for me when I'm too when I don't know how to pray. You're going yeah. to the Spirit for that. Yeah. Got you. And sometimes even when I'm praying for salvation from some for somebody, I am begging the Holy Spirit to just get in there. All right. And to so, open the eyes of open their eyes. So that's an interesting question that, that we get a lot, which is um who like who do we pray to? Now you you just described a situation where it's normal for you to pray to each of the members of the Trinity, right? But we're taught to pray our Father. That's true. We're taught to pray in the name of Jesus. Is it okay to pray to Jesus? Is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? You know, you seem to be fine with it, but that's that's not the normal plan that we teach our six-year-olds. Well, that's, hopefully we're teaching kids to pray before six years old. That's not the normal plan we teach our one-and-a-half-year-olds. That... Ask a good question, and I'm um, totally I'm totally down with you. By the yeah, way, I yeah. just I want to hear how you think about this. Yeah, I, I guess mainly because I have formed a a biblical theology of the personhood of the Trinity and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That it's it's legitimate to be able to do that. You know, did, are there areas where where um, Jesus was prayed to? Yes. Well, yeah, uh, like yeah. when he was walking around in the flesh, and people said, "Hey, yeah. Jesus, what's up?" <laughs> yeah. So uh, there were requests made of him, mm-hmm. and uh, ooh, like uh, Stephen in Acts chapter seven. That one just popped into my head. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Yeah, as he was so, dying. Yeah. So there's there legitimately for the first two persons. I mean, I guess maybe if there's some folks that could write down some or could 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 draw some real thin lines or real. Real hard and fast lines. Okay, well, maybe I should be praying for the Son and the Father to send the Spirit yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to do that. But I, you know, again, that that's, you know, I don't know if I have uh, in particular right now because the words are failing me to to defend that per se. Yeah. Other than just I, look, they're they're all three members of the same Trinity, and 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 so I can I can praise them, I can thank them. Is it, and and I know that they do work. Do I then request them to do that work? And that's yeah. where, and 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 again, we've got to be careful because then that could kind of. I'm not looking at the Holy Trinity like some kind of, you know, divine board of directors, like a department like, store, exactly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to the toy department for <laughs> for one thing and something like that. Welcome to intercession. What can I do for you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like the 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 only thing that, that comes yeah. to my mind in terms of praying to the Holy Spirit is that. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's talking about the different members of the body of Christ. And it says that the Holy Spirit assigns these functions to each one as he wills, right? So he kind of, this is probably the wrong way to say it, but he, he claims responsibility for giving people jobs in the church, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And, and it's based on his will, his desire. So the Holy Spirit is in a decision-making role there. And the Holy Spirit being God, I think, you know, this isn't a direct quote from the Bible, but I think logically and reasonably we can then go ahead and pray to our authoritative god the holy spirit um especially in those things also things like um illuminating the text of scripture right jesus says hey he i will send the spirit and he will bring to your remembrance everything that i have commanded you and it's like lord you know or you know holy spirit i'm I'm going into an evangelism situation i need the right scriptures at the right time oh yeah you know do that all the time oh or here's another one where you're sharing the gospel with somebody and you're praying, Holy Spirit, open their eyes, right? Like, well, and you were saying this, right? Mm-hmm. So illuminate the text. That's First mm-hmm. Corinthians 2. He does that. Illuminate the word of God yeah. for this person. So, yeah, I don't know that there's an example in the Bible of somebody praying to the Holy Spirit, but, um, man, if you're going to prohibit it, you got to, I think you'd have to work pretty hard to say that you shouldn't. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, and again, that's the, the, it does display a, um, it displays kind of a, a dependence and a conversation and a reliance upon, on, on God and how he has revealed how he works. You know, in other yeah. words, they, so, so you're like, you're, you're not only acknowledging, but you're, you're just, you're de- declaring your dependence upon, upon God. Like for example, the Holy Spirit, like when I go into an evangelism situation, I, I, I have to enter in going, God, unless you work, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the father, unless you decreed God, the son, unless this is, unless all of this has happened, mm-hmm. this is for naught. I can't, yep. you know, it's all, I'm begging the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of the blind that he would, that, that those people who have been blinded by the God of this age, who cannot understand um, for whom spiritual matters are moronic to the yeah. natural man. It's like, no, Spirit, I need you to open their eyes. And that's... And even I, in that situation, yeah. to pray to the Father to draw them like John 6, right? Like, apparently this person has not yet been drawn. And John 6 says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father himself draws him. Yep. Then, God, you haven't done it yet. Let's let's go. If, if it works according to your will, Amen. I would love for this to happen now. Yeah. Okay, so then why pray in the name of the Son? Let's let's talk to our new believers for a minute. Ooh. Right? So, Pastor Ben, everybody prays in Jesus' name. What's up with that? Well, okay, um, uh, a couple things. I think uh, I'll go back to Hebrews chapter 4. We have this one who has passed through the heavens. And, and, did you read Hebrews 4 this morning? I didn't. I just love that. <laughs> Hebrews is my go-to. Sorry, yeah, guys. Good man. But, but in the idea that, you know, we have a faithful high priest who can rightly, basically, almost like lay hands on on both humans and God, and and he can be that intermediator, right? And so, what we are doing when we're praying in Jesus' name is we're praying because of what Jesus has done. Because through Him, I have access to God the Father. I can lay these requests down. So, is that the magical three letter word, three three word sentence that you can that you have to add at the end of your prayers? Oh, Maybe via via tradition, or maybe to remind yourself, or to to you know, saying, "Hey, I'm coming not based upon my own efforts, but because of what Christ has done." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think if I'm if I'm praying that way to pray in His name, I'm coming through Christ. Yeah, I'm coming through Him. Now, there's also you know, again, I'm praying for Him. In other words, I want to see His kingdom come. I want to see His work to be done. So I'm praying in the name. I'm praying for for those things for his kingdom to be made great and so I'm not just coming based up I'm not coming just for myself and for my own greed I'm coming because I want to see Christ's kingdom brought forward yeah, so that yeah. that's where I would go with the name is it cool. is it like are, is that the, the one magical sentence you have to close every one of your prayers in in order for, in order for them to be effective no you have a holy father who loves you yeah that's that's yeah. witchcraft right <laughs> exactly yeah you staple this incantation onto your prayers and it'll become powerful yeah. that's that's witchcraft people we don't do that but there's also the issue of authority I mean when you when you look oh, at, at yes. the, the idea of the name in the Bible what's in a name? You're talking about the authority, and what brings this to mind is that question that we got from Shannon a couple of weeks ago, which is like, hey, why do why do some people baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and some people baptize only in the name of Jesus? Uh, what's, what's the difference, right? Because you see biblical examples of both, and our answer was, it's the same thing, right? Because yeah. you're talking about the authority, and so... To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray by the authority of the Son of God. Because also, oh, okay, here's here's a fun part. Go, right? baby. If we're if our oneness with Christ, right, 
I, as as we've been then because of his oneness, we've been granted uh-huh. that authority. We are in Christ. What restoring the rule? So like that? Is, like, yeah. Inside Jesus' name, I pray. Ooh. Wrapped up, tucked inside the name of God the Son. Oh my God! I pray. Yeah. So I, I think when you talk about boldly approaching the throne of grace, that's I mean that's what it is, right? It's like Jesus is my my entry. He is the um. So okay, uh, Genesis twenty eight. Right, Jacob is shown a ladder to heaven, or a stair- it's really a stairway. It's a staircase to heaven. Uh, Led Zeppelin, how dare you? Um, so it's a it's a, st- a literal, actual stairway to heaven in this dream. And then in John one fifty one, he comes up to Nathaniel and he's like, "Yo, dog, that stairway to heaven, that's me." So we only get to talk to God the Father through God the Son. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't give his name to us, thus the name Christian, right? We are Christ. Ian's, then we don't, we're not in the family. So yeah, there, there's a lot of different layers to that whole thing, right? Amen. Well, I, it's what's, what's interesting too is, um, oh, I lost it. Sorry. I we're just wrapped up in the throne room just, of dude, God. My mind talks. is so blown to think. I love it. I'm going back to like, even just how does Christ then restore the man, right? In other words, like, you know, Adam and Eve being given this dominion to rule. Yeah. And as as those of who are in Christ now, having uh-huh. essentially that dominion. Now, I'm not trying to say like go name it and claim it or whatever, but to think that we have that dominion and that was restored to us through yeah. Christ by, by our unity with Him. And that's we are like, the stewards dude, of a new creation. I am having like the whole the mystery of God in you, the mind blowing <laughs> thing right here, right now. Okay, great. Okay, so. All right, so needed a celebration. Riff. <laughs> okay, very good. So um, we talked about um, talked about that. Let's let's talk about this. The um, Dustin says it's good to experiment in prayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Explain, I should, sir. I should stop using that terminology. Am I going to stop? No. Um, yeah, dude. I don't know. Like it's it's just it's such an area of freedom, you know. And and we don't oftentimes. Uh, uh, treated as such. I, okay, so here's where this came from. Um, I read uh, uh, Tim Keller's book on prayer, which is one of the best books on prayer ever written. Amen. It's just called Prayer by Timothy Keller. It, it's great. And um, he made a comment in there almost in passing. He said, and so this is why I experiment in prayer. And then he moves on. And I was like, wait a second, what what is going on? So when I read that, I was probably, what, 26, 27. And I'm like, I'm like, experiment in prayer? What's going on there? And I started thinking about that, and I'm like, to what degree are we allowed to experiment? So I, I, I found, you know, kind of some of the biblical boundaries that I discussed earlier and things like that. It's like, okay, don't do not do that. Don't do this, uh, which is why, you know, just according to my theology, I can't sing along with a Chris Tomlin song on the radio because it will be vain repetitions for a half an hour in a row. Um, did he just go there? Oh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a stylistic preference. Um, but there are certain no's. There, there are no-go's. But there's also just like, this huge playground in the middle of those fences, you know? And I started thinking like, okay, so if I'm, if I'm not micromanaged in the area of prayer, maybe I should try doing something other than what I'm doing. And so I did, man. I just, I just started like praying different ways, praying, um, different for different lengths of time in, you know, songs and then silence and then yells and whisper. One thing I'll experiment with. Okay, here, how about this? I'll give you some examples of how I experiment in prayer, okay? So one of the things that I'll do is uh, sit in silence for a little while. Not a whole long time. I'm not taking a vow of silence and going three weeks without talking or something like that, but it's like 
generally my idea of prayer was I'm either talking or I'm listening. Okay, I'm, I'm talking to God in my prayer or I'm listening and reading the Bible and I'm prayerfully reading the Bible. So you got a two-way conversation going on. Great, I love it, that's robust. But you know that thing where couples that have been married long enough and they know each other, they enjoy each other's company, they can sit at a restaurant and just eat and not say anything for a while and have a good time, right? I was like, I wonder if that's part of the relationship with God. So I experimented and I, I wound up just sitting there like being still, knowing that he is God and everything that I can think of that that involves. And so knowing that in that moment, like here, here's where I'll direct my thoughts sometimes. In this moment right here, oh, pause. I, sh- I should give a disclaimer. This is a little bit mystical, okay? And some people get a little uncomfortable with mystical practices. So we can address that here in a minute if you want. But just so you guys know, your pastor's a little bit of a mystic because I think actually all Christians are because we're claiming to commune with the supernatural. So I'm, I'm going a little bit down that pathway. But uh one thing I'll do is when I sit in silence, I'll just think, okay, in this moment right here, according to Romans chapter eight and other passages, God is fully satisfied with me because of what Christ has done. So he, he lacks nothing from me that he requires because Christ has provided it all. So God is fully satisfied in our relationship in this moment. Now you got to be careful where you take that. Does that mean that there's nothing to improve on? No, no, no. I need to be more Christ-like than I am. And I got a lot of growth to do. There's a lot of sanctification to work on, right? Things like that. But He's he's not he's not he's not demanding anything from me Amen. in this moment. Like that's that's good. And so to sit there and just direct your thoughts there for a second and just chill. Don't talk, don't listen, just sit there and be in relationship with God. Now, that's that's kind of a touchy feely thing to do. And that's why I pushed myself to do it is because I didn't understand that. I had a friend one time, well, our buddy Tim, right? He's he's been a guest on this uh show twice. Tim Carr, he um he, he told me once, he was like because I, I was asking him something like, I don't know what these guys are talking about when they say like, I just feel so intensely loved by God all the time. And I'm just like, yeah, I got more of an active type of love, right? I love God by doing stuff, not just by feeling stuff. So I'm like, what are they talking about? And he said, man, what you need to do is just rest in the sweet love of Christ. And I said, Tim, what in the heck does that even mean, dude? <laughs> I was like, you're, you're, you're speaking gibberish to me right now. And so I, since I didn't, since there were Christians that were experiencing a side of a relationship with God that I seem to have no access to, I just started kind of messing around with it, going there. So that's an experiment that I'll do in in prayer. Sitting still for, I'm talking like a minute or two minutes. That's about where I take it, right? And just being with God without conversation. Okay, there's an experiment. Another thing is um, messing around with your fasting practices. There's an experiment. Another thing is... Uh, um, Praying, like prayer calendars, you can experiment with that. Like, hey, this week or today, I'm just praying for my kids. Or, um, ooh, one thing that I like to do is when I'm really, really super busy, right? And I'm just slammed with stuff to do. I'll, um, I'll let some of my responsibilities drop and say, for this 15 minutes, I don't care what else is going on. Unless my wife calls me with an emergency, uh, then I'm going to pray for 15 minutes or for 30 minutes. And whatever doesn't get done, I'm deciding not to care because I'm, I'm, Putting God as the highest priority, even though I don't feel that way. I feel like I got a million things tugging at me, but I'm just going to pray instead and kind of instigate obedience, even if it's not coming from the heart. I'm going to make darn sure it comes from me one way or the other. And so it's it's an experiment. So yeah, th- these are some of the ways that I experiment. Yeah, I think, you know, to kind of touch off on that, some of the th- ways that I've experimented in the past is I have written out my prayers, like I'm writing a letter 
And okay. sometimes, especially, um, it, there was a, a couple points in my life where probably due to stress and a couple other factors, and I'm sure somebody with a psychology psychology degree could probably tell me even more. I was just scatterbrained. I could not. It's because you're crazy. It's probably. I just true. solved it for you. Yeah, I could not string more than four sentences together, and then I would get distracted by the next shiny object that would float through my psyche. And so now, so what I did for a long time is I actually wrote out every single prayer. My my times of confession i wrote that then i have basically i mean i don't know if there's a book that i still need to burn but it's like (laughs) all the all the stuff that goes on and and i just would and i would and i would just write it all out yeah and and it's really actually sometimes and and just just bear with me here for a second sometimes it's even beneficial to go back and look at what you were praying for and then realize wow god answered it this way instead of that way you know, you, you, so it's sometimes it's nice to have something written down because we tend to forget. And you go, wow, God was actually faithful when I was a complete bonehead back then. record of God's activity. I know, it's crazy. That's cool. And sometimes I wonder, like, where we get these prayers, like Valley of Vision, if someone hadn't actually written them down. So mm-hmm. to to write them down, I think, might be very helpful. Sometimes it's singing. Yep. You know, I sing my prayers. And um, sometimes you can experiment also with postures in prayer. And so some people, um, they, they like to, this, <laughs> this is a weird one. I can't believe I'm about to say this on a podcast. Here we go. Um, occasionally, I will. I'll, I'll. I'll just pray face down. Oh yeah, right. Just like straight out on the floor. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of funny actually. One time I was. It was Saturday night. I was here praying for Sunday, and it was about nine thirty. And um, uh, we had carpet back then, right? And so I'm up in front of the stage, and I'm laying laying face down just because that's where I was at the time. And so I just get down. And the whole thing was just worship, right? So mm-hmm. the 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 dictionary definition of the word worship, at least in Hebrew, is, you know, for shachah, to lay face down in, in worship of God. So I'm going to lower myself as much as possible with the the goal of having an honest comparison between God and me, mm-hmm. right? So this is where I'm praying right now. So Micah walks in to get stuff ready for Sunday. And he just walked in, didn't know anybody was there. And I, you know, it was dark in the auditorium. And I pop up from the other side of the chairs up by the stage. I was like, oh, hey, dude, what's up? And he's like, oh, jeez, what is, oh, man. Scared him to death. So he turns the lights on and he's like, dude, you got a red spot on your forehead. What's yeah. <laughs> a rug burn on my forehead. <laughs> because I was experimenting. But that's like different postures do help communicate something to us, right? I mean, if you're on your knees, that's different than being on your feet, hands up versus hands down. Um, I was given some advice one time by a buddy of mine, a mentor of mine. He, uh, we were talking about when you get compliments on Sunday, right? Great sermon, pastor, good song, singer, you know, or whatever. And you get that along with the criticism. I can't believe you said X. Jesus would never say blah, blah, blah. Right. And so you got all, you, you leave on, I don't, I don't, our people don't really do that to me. Right. But you get the, you get the, the fringe wackos that just want to hear their own voice. So I get home and I got a pocket full of compliments and a pocket full of criticisms. And my mentor said to me, what I would have to do, he was older than me. He says, what I would have to do is go home and just empty my pockets and say, the compliments belong to you, Lord, whatever's true, glory to you. Whatever's not, you don't care anyway. And the criticisms belong to you. Whatever's true, help me to understand this. And whatever's not true, help me to forget it. Right. But he would, he would empty his pockets metaphorically and just give all of this stuff, the good and the bad to the Lord and say, this is not mine to own right now. Um, and so I've experimented with actually doing that physically, right? I'll just, you know, take my hands, ball them up like a, like a couple of fists, hold them up to the Lord, open them up. And that's, I mean, it doesn't benefit God at all, right? But it's, it's a teaching mechanism for myself. And so it instigates these prayers. So yeah, experimentation is fine within boundaries. Don't be a pagan. Yeah. I, what would be, um, 
and I know we're I'm bordering on 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 defining a legalistic term here, but what might be some things that we would want to avoid? Um, I would say like the first place my mind goes is uh, stuff that emulates Eastern meditation, um, transcendental meditation, things like that. I, I am a really big uh, big proponent of staying away from yoga. Uh, not everybody agrees with me on that, but th- this is not a grace and truth position. So I don't know if all of our pastors would say the same thing. I I think that um, things like that are inherently spiritual, and when we try and wrap them up in the Christian life while divorcing them from their intended spiritual context, then those we, we wind up in some real areas of danger. So I, I run away from that stuff. Um, new agey stuff and, and Eastern mysticism tends to creep in unnoticed anyway. It's kind of deceptive and tricky and slippery by nature. So I'd watch out for that. Um, I would also watch out for the just the the uh, vulgar, you know. Like sometimes we can we can substitute vulgarity for honesty, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I I, uh, so I, don't, I let, don't swear at God. Well, yeah. So uh, King's Kaleidoscope, right? They had that song where mm-hmm. you know it was called, I think it was just called Prayer, and he drops an f bomb in the song, and people are like, oh, "This is a Christian band," and it's like, "Well, yeah, but they're from Mars Hill, so you know, go figure, right?" <laughs> but it was, but it, it was kind of like there was an interesting debate around that because he really was just making a song out of a prayer that he had written in his journal and he was going through some real stuff and it's like God's a big boy he can handle it so I'm not going to knock a dude for having his language get a little salty when he's pouring out the depths of his heart to God on the other hand are we celebrating our Christian liberty to the point where it's just kind of exhibitionism at that point those are important questions to ask and sometimes we can take areas of freedom and like and then and then like in that one for example there's other passages that say, hey, look, no, let no unwholesome thing pass your lips, right? Well, we've got a boundary there. So, okay, you can tell the Lord what you're really thinking, but let's not glory in our liberty to the point where it actually covers over sin. So I think some of those things yeah, I would, watch out for. Yeah, I wouldn't, Yeah, for example, maybe drop F-bombs during corporate prayer or anything like that. Let's avoid know? that. Yeah. yeah, okay, sounds good. I have heard it done, though, by new believers. That is true. Yeah. And I it's also, cute. yeah. And I will say this is that, again, this also always has to be given, given under the guy, under the understanding that you are praying to your heavenly father. Yes, he's a king. Absolutely. You respect him. But there are times where maybe we forget our place, but we also understand that God is a gracious God. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to be corrected. It might be good you know, to talk to the brother afterwards and just say, Hey dude, <laughs> totally appreciate it. You know, F-bombs are something that we would necessarily drop. Yeah, that's, you know. that's not going to be helpful for others. Let's yeah. talk about the word edification. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we, we can do that, yeah. but but in the sense of, okay, am I is that prayer, like, ineffective, or am I going to be going to hell because I dropped an F-bomb during prayer? Yeah, no, I wouldn't yeah. worry about it. I would, yeah. But I would, I'll also say this to average Joe Christian, the boundaries on your prayer are probably further out than you assume that they are. Like, yes. in, in other words, you probably have more liberty. There's probably more acceptable prayer practices than you would assume. And I say this because I, I very rarely get people asking me as a pastor. So, okay, granted, this is a little bit anecdotal, but I, I rarely get people asking me, hey, I, I did this while I was praying. Do you think I went too far? Instead, I get people asking me, I don't pray like that because I think that would be going too far. And so they avoid it. And it's like, what, what, what really is the worst thing that could happen? And sometimes it gets really restrictive. Like I had one lady one time, she said, I don't pray for myself because that's, that's selfish. And I'm like, oh, sister, I'm about to introduce you to some powerful prayer. You got to pray for yourself because nobody else can pray in such an informed manner about you, right? And, which, by the way, when you say, give us this day our daily bread or your will be done, well, you're necessarily praying for yourself at that point. So it's okay. Like, yeah, you can't hear the head knocking, but man, I am like, <laughs> I'm sh- I am I am approving, nodding with approval. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and then praying for, well, 
here's one. And I didn't, I didn't warn parents about this, so I'm just going to speak between the lines on this one, uh, just because we, we, we had to pop an explicit tag on one of our episodes a couple of weeks ago. Um, but there's no reason to do that two weeks ago, uh, two weeks in a row. I guess that was last week, wasn't it? Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, for, for husbands and wives to pray for each other and for their life once the door is closed, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, pray for your sex life, man, because that's an area where God has, issued commands and decrees and given blessings and whatever it's a good th- and nobody's going to ask for that for you like you can right so that's especially men especially the head of the house you got areas of responsibility you need to be praying for those things so the the, the things that we would assume we shouldn't be praying about i would say your assumptions are if i'm just playing the numbers statistically your assumptions about what are, what's a problem it's not a problem don't worry about it go for it if there's a problem we'll let you know yeah and to further just to to drop a little bit more of a finer point on that men especially like when you're struggling for example in areas of you know lust or pornography or anything like that praying that god would actually shift your attentions totally. in the right direction right you think god would not honor that <laughs> i'm sitting there going absolutely he would yeah. and i mean you know as as a young man even as i'm as i'm as, as a young man as i was struggling with that i'm sitting there like reserve my affections for my wife and i remember the day he answered that question that that prayer, it was amazing. I'm just literally sitting across the table from my from my beautiful wife, who probably wasn't dolled up in a ton of makeup and everything like that, but she was reading her Bible, and I went, "Wow, hello, you are the yeah. most amazing person ever." Yeah. And that never stopped. And, and God was like, wasn't yeah. he? He wasn't pulling a veil over your eyes, giving you a filter. He was removing something, and you were seeing her more like he does. Amen. Right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It, it may seem weird, guys, that like, hey, this is a podcast on prayer. And all of a sudden, these guys are talking about praying for your sex life with your wife. What's up with that? Here's the thing. We do a lot of marriage counseling, right? And if this seems weird to you, I promise you that for the majority of people who have had marriage problems, it doesn't seem weird to them because it's a necessary reminder. And we ask people like, okay, you got these issues. Have you prayed about that issue? And so often they're like, I don't pray about that. Well, and and it's an area of obedience to God in the sense of saying, Lord, I want to be more obedient in this area. Now, do, are there, do we surrender all areas of our life to the Lord? Absolutely. So we surrender all things. All By the way, things. All things means all things. <laughs> all means all, right? and that's all all means. Is that what they say? Exactly. And it's so, so for us to think that God is not concerned about, uh, about various areas, including the marriage bedroom. There you go. Go sing I Surrender All and be thinking about that. That's a, that's a worship song right there. You know, one of the funniest things too is in marriage counseling when I say, "Hey, let me let me pray for you guys when we're wrapping up or whatever." And and we as the pastors will pray for the the marital bed in somebody's home. How uncomfortable that makes people is honestly a little bit entertaining to me. It's, it's a little funny if I'm just being honest, but but to think that your heavenly Father who gives good and perfect gifts actually wants even that area. Oh yeah, right? and then, and then you, you take that out into other areas like um, you know food. If you got issues controlling yourself around food, have you prayed for for control over your appetites, right? Or do you just try and muscle it out? It's like I got a problem with the flesh, and I'm going to beat it with the flesh. Eh, maybe there's a better strategy. Or if you've got struggles at work, come on, so now. it's like the, lay those before the Lord. You know, I mean, there are times where I'm praying for brothers, and I'm and I'm literally praying for their work, and I'm saying, God, would you make them like Joseph in the land of Egypt? And would that company flourish under that? And I'm not naming and claiming something. I'm praying for prosperity. I'm saying, Lord, would through your influence, would you bless this company? Because, and would it be directly tied to this 
brother. Get your glory out of it. Yeah, get yep. your glory. So it's like nobody glorifies Joseph. I've never sung a praise song to Joseph, but I've praised God for what He's done through Joseph. Oh, right? Yeah. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's what I'm thinking, dude. Um, we didn't plan this out, but I'm thinking we got we're, we're like only halfway through this list. I and think we need to, need to do another one. We need to do a, a part B. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, um, because prayer is such a powerful tool, then uh, we get to engage a world which is seriously messed up. Amen. But we got prayer. And so, you know, it's, it, it is effective. It is efficacious, to use the theological term, because of the gospel, which is perfectly suited to engage this messed up world. Amen. And so we'll see you guys in the next one, teach you more about it. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.